Good morning, everybody. Uh, the reading this morning is taken from Revelations uh, chapter 5, which you can find on page 1236 in your newly reinstalled church Bible, which you'll find in the seats in front of you. Page 1236. Uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The scroll and the lamb. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the scroll throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of, full of incense, which the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down. Thank you. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Father, we ask that Jesus will be honored amongst us now as we consider his plan for our lives. Amen. Well, it is uh, really great to be here today. Annie's baptism as well. Uh, wasn't, that, wasn't that good? Um, for this morning, I just want to focus on one verse from that Bible reading. Uh, one verse, verse 9. Verse 9 is at the heart of the chapter, and I think it's the key which helps make sense of life today. Uh, this passage is a glimpse into heaven, and in heaven, what is being said about Jesus is, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe language and people and nation. You are worthy. Jesus is worthy. It says he's, he's worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. What's that about? Why does that matter? 
Well, the chapter starts with God himself holding a scroll in his hand. And and it turns out, if you read on in Revelation, that this scroll is God's master plan for history. God has plans. He made this world for a purpose. And he doesn't intend that it will last forever. He gave this world a beginning and he has planned for it an end. And because this world is in something of a mess, his master plan is to sort it out once and for all. It is a plan to crush all that is evil, all that spoils, and to remake the world once again. But there's a problem. You see, verse 1 said that this scroll was sealed with seven seals. It was all locked up. God's great master plan for history couldn't be actioned. It couldn't be opened. It's like, you know, some of you, your, your plans for, for holidays, uh, you, you, you plan for holiday in the summer or something, and, and then the COVID regulations all hit, and you think, well, I, I'm really stuck. Everyone's trying to make short-term decisions because nothing can probably happen. The holidays can't be booked. Everything is on, on hold, which is, is frustrating and disappointing if you missed out on a holiday this year. But when we're talking about God's plans for history, that is a disaster. So John, who's, who's having this vision, he begins to weep. Verse 4, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. This is a disaster because unless that scroll is opened, God's plans will not take place. And unless God's sovereign plans are put into action, all history is meaningless. All life will be devoid of purpose. Without God achieving the happy ending that he wants, there's nothing good for us to look forward to only terror would await no wonder john weeps but then wait a moment verse six then i saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne verse seven he went and took the scroll verse nine and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals Jesus is the only one who can open up the scroll. That is, he alone can reveal the eternal destiny that God has planned for this world. But why? Why is the eternal future of the world and the future of each of our lives effectively in his hands? Well, verse 9 tells us why. It is because, well, two reasons actually, because firstly, Jesus' death brings urgently needed salvation. Verse 9, they say about Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. The death of Jesus is being talked about in heaven, celebrated in heaven because, well, what's the reason given here? Because you were slain and with your blood, that is by giving your life, by dying on a cross, you purchased for God persons. The death of Jesus purchased people. That is, it, it ransomed them out of captivity. We are, we are dreadfully aware today of the price people will pay to get their freedom with, with migrants and refugees taking the most risky journeys to try and find a new life. Well, the death of Jesus was so significant because his death paid the price to rescue others. It says he purchased people for God. It's a reminder there that by nature, human beings are not God's people, no matter how polite we are, no matter how good we try to be, by nature we are trapped by the power of sin. And without Jesus, we are held captive, whether we like it or not, and we cannot escape. 
And so there is no way that God could go ahead with his plan for, for history, because if he did, he'd have to come in judgment on us all, and, and none of us would survive. But God has a heart of love. That's not what he wants to do. He made the world. He loves the people of this world. He's not some sort of vengeful tyrant. God doesn't want to destroy all people. What he wants is to make all things new. So whilst people are captive to sin, his plans must be put on hold. That scroll must be sealed shut. But now, wonderfully, amazingly, the death of Jesus has ransomed people for God. Jesus' death brings salvation for all who put their trust in him. We are purchased for God so that no longer in captivity we have a new owner, a new status as the people belonging to God. And that is why Jesus can set history going once again. Because God has plans to surround himself with people for all eternity. But without Jesus' death, he would have no people for we had all rejected him. But now, in Jesus, through Jesus, we can be saved by putting our trust in him. And so now, God's plans for the end of the world can come into play. The scroll can now has been opened, so we can now be sure that God will one day bring history to its conclusion, to the point where evil is punished and his people get to reign in a whole new world in his presence. This world is a, a messy place. We all go through hard times sooner or later. And no vaccine or other interventions are going to end that. But now, because of Jesus, there is meaning. Now, because of Jesus, we can find purpose to our lives. Now, because of Jesus, there can be value and significance to, for, for us. For, for many, life will not be easy. But now that the scroll has been opened, we can be sure that we will reach that final destination, that what God has planned for this world will certainly come to pass. Indeed, that's what keeps us from living self-centered, inward-looking lives and gives us a whole new perspective on life in this world. I mean, if you know how the world ends, doesn't that make you look at Hove and Brighton differently? Doesn't that shine a whole new light on the needs of the UK, of this world? Jesus purchased us for God, for those who are believers. That means not just that our individual futures are safe, that believers in Jesus are secure. It means that all God's plans for the entire world are now all moving forward to their final completion. And that the day when this world is no more, that day will be here soon with all its eternal consequences. Now, we haven't actually got to the best part of verse 9 yet. Let me show you that. At the end of verse 9, it says that, With your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The emphasis here is on that little word, every. This verse isn't so much about who Jesus purchased as where he purchased them from. Jesus' death brings salvation, reaching the whole world. That's the the second reason here why Jesus has this pivotal role in bringing about God's eternal plans because of the global reach of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
Jesus purchased for God people from every tribe in the world, from every language group in the world, from every people group in the world, from every nation of the world. Uh, too, too often uh, we, we, we forget this verse. Some of you may know that at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And we tend to think all nations. Well, there's what? There's, there's like 190 something countries in the world. But that's missing the point. The word translated as, as nations isn't talking about the modern nation state that we have today. Really, it means people group. And there's a lot more people groups than there are countries, like thousands more. And that becomes very clear here in Revelation. Verse 9 says, Jesus purchased for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. I mean, if you have your Bible open, look at that verse. And, and what do you see there? Because I, I look and see over 7,000 languages of which less than 10% have a Bible. I look and see over a billion people who do not have the Bible available to them in their language. I still find that shocking. It, it, it shocks me that almost 200 million people alive today don't even have a single verse in their language. Not, not even John 3.16. And, and I look at a verse like this and I see that God's plans for this world are bigger than ours. And we still have some catching up to do. I mean, when, when you look at that verse, what do you see there? I hope you get the point that, that Jesus was only permitted to open that scroll, mapping out God's plans for the world. He was only worthy to do it because he had redeemed people out of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Jesus ransomed people from all corners of the world, from, from communities right across the globe. And that is why God's master plan for the history of the whole world could, could now be unlocked because of the global extent of what Jesus achieved on the cross. You, you put all that together and you see that, that God's eternal plan has always been for individuals from every tribe, language, people, and nation to be brought into his presence. That is the shape and direction of all world history. God's people are to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual family. People from all different races, all cultures, all languages. People from every caste, every social class. All of them, all brought together by Jesus for God. And friends, I, I, I must point out that if this is God's plan for the world history, then it should be our plan for our lives too. It's the fool who, who tries to make their own plans their life and then tries to make their own plans happen regardless of what God might be doing. The, the wise person fits their life within God's plan. We try first to understand what is God's agenda and then we make his agenda our agenda. We would just be so much happier if we did this. We would save ourselves so much grief. And when we come to consider what is God's agenda... We must not forget that his concern is global. Jesus sent us to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, because he had first redeemed from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. World mission is not just something for a few keen Christians. You know, in any church, there's always a few people who like that sort of thing, aren't there? No, no God himself has a heart for world mission. 
and all godly people will share his concern. Jesus gave his life to get people of every tribe, language, people and nation back to God for eternity. Can I ask you, what are you giving your life for? Don't waste your life pursuing the things of this world. If Christ gave his life for you, give your life for him. Give your life, expend your life, pour out your life, use up your life pursuing the things that matter to him. How many years do you have left? What are you going to use them for? How much wealth will you leave behind you when you die? What could you have used it for? The gospel has not yet reached enough people. It has not yet even reached enough people groups. It will not do so without the Bible being available. It will not do so without richer Christians in the West funding the work of local Christians who are at the front line. This work is ongoing and we need to take care that we keep it fixed in our minds as the greatest challenge facing this generation. Perhaps I can ask you, who are the, the, the tribes and peoples around here who are currently unreached? I know in the UK, Bible-believing Christians often have a habit of, of reaching their friendship networks, but they're more than that. We, we often need to work hard at breaking out of the, the communities that we know to reaching the mass of people of all walks of life and the long-standing immigrant communities with different religious backgrounds. I wonder... Have you ever stopped to consider uh, the needs of Europe? How many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians are there in Europe? In Germany, uh, 2.1% of the population. In Belgium, 1.2%. Italy, 1.1%. France, 1.0%. Czech Republic is just 0.7%, a figure so low it is comparable to uh, a Muslim country, like uh, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, 0.6%. Greece is 0.4%. Poland, 0.3%. And those of you from any of those countries will know this, but the rest of us need to pay more attention The biggest problem facing Europe right now is not recovering from COVID, but that there are too few workers for the harvest field. There are people in communities across this country and across this continent who Jesus died for, but who are waiting to hear about it. And that's without even mentioning the tremendous need for the gospel all over the world. Globally, over 85% of all Hindus, Muslims and Buddhists do not know a Christian. Asia has a population of 3.6 billion people. Only 13% even know a Christian. Over 3 billion do not. And a fundamental issue is that one in five of the world's population do not even have the Bible available in their language. It's not just something that affects a few remote tribes. In large parts of the Islamic world, there is no church growth because there are no Bibles available. Uh, How could you lead someone to Christ without a Bible available they could understand? How could you establish a church that plants other churches if they do not have full access to God's word? 
if we, if we want everyone to have access to the good news about Jesus, then we should do something to meet this need. Jesus, we're told here, is building a global church which encompasses believers of every tribe and language and people and nation. Yeah, and Bibles are being translated and the gospel is being proclaimed. But what part are we going to play in this great task? What will each of our lives achieve? Well, instinctively, you say, James, this is far too hard. What can we do against such overwhelming numbers as that? But actually, I want to suggest to you, this is actually very simple, and that if each of you were to prioritize this, then collectively you could have tremendous impact. Anyone who has the gospel is qualified to share the gospel. If you believe the gospel, God has qualified you and commissioned you to share the gospel. So the only requirement needed to reach different communities around the world, all that is needed is for a few Christians to go and live amongst them and share this good news and for others to pray for them and provide funding for them to keep them and their organizations going. That's how the early Christians saw their world change in the book of Acts. It's how things happen today. It is down to people like us who come to understand that Jesus' salvation is not just for people like us, but that it reaches globally, must be taken globally to every tribe, language, people, and nation, and that we, the church, have been commissioned by Jesus to do this task. That's what we're about at Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, Other good mission organizations are available, by the way. Uh, But when we translate the Bible for people, we're accelerating evangelism and discipleship in those communities. With the Bible available, people can find out about Jesus. Churches can grow. With the Bible available, other mission organizations can do their work, which is what they say to me. James, we can't do our work till you've done yours. But no mission organization can do anything without people. It takes people to go and do it and invest their lives in it. It takes people to stay and give and invest their money in it. And it takes people to pray. Prayer is what makes it all happen. I don't know, you, you, I, I wonder if everyone here is, is connected to one of the, to, to a mission partner and to a good mission organization. But if we share God's concern for world mission, it will mean praying for the work. And the simplest way to do that is to pray for one of the church's mission partners and to use a prayer diary uh, from a good mission organization. We stuck on the table at the back. You're welcome to take it. Um, uh, our magazine, actually not the latest one, which is kind of uh, sold out, whatever. But uh, so it's an old one that's there. But anyway, it includes a prayer diary. Lots of prayer points still valid uh, if you want to, to get started with that. Or, or then use the phone and we'll call us. We'll send you a new one, which comes out in a couple of weeks. Because when we pray, we're taking part. Prayer is real partnership. It also means financial support for the work. The task of world mission is tremendously expensive. And typically, those who traveled overseas depend entirely on what God gives them through the giving of their home churches. And many of the local Christians, uh, organizations like us that we work with around the world, their churches are not able to afford to set them apart to do this work. So they depend on the giving of Christians in the UK who are willing to support them. And mission organizations depend on the giving of individual Christians. No one else will fund this if Christians and churches don't. 
Now, of course, if our, if our plan for our lives revolves around ourselves, our mortgages, our pension plans, our holidays, and so on, then we will always prefer to keep our giving to a minimum. But if we're seeking to align our lives with God's master plan, then we'll want to ensure that at least some of our money is used to reach every tribe, language, people, and nation with the gospel. So we pray for the work, we pay for the work, and as a church, we seek to send workers. I've spoken to Christians in in different countries of the world, and I always ask them what help, if any, they need from the UK. And they keep saying to me, please send more workers. And if such people don't come from a church like this, I mean, where else are they going to come from? Pray that God would make Bishop Hannington a center from which mission workers are sent out into different parts of the UK, of Europe, and the world. The need exists for recent graduates in their 20s, 30s to engage with this, but actually also people who will take a, a, a mid-career change in their 40s, 50s, who will take early retirement in their 60s in order to engage. Now, Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, we don't just need more linguists, though we do. We're calling out for godly people who will use their professional skills. It might be IT or management or accounting or whatever to come and play a part in this fundamental task, uh, some of which can now be done online from home. Is that scary? Does, does the thought of stepping out to do something new scare you? Would you be frightened to leave behind friends and family to go to local Christians to where they most need your help? Does your bank balance feel threatened by the idea of funding world mission? Is it, is it too big a risk? But what have we just been talking about? The scroll has been opened by Jesus so we can be sure that history is on track. We're the ones, those who believe in Jesus here, we are the ones who know how the world is going to end. All God's master plan for the world is moving forward to its final completion. The scary thing would be to let that pass you by. If we take risks for Jesus, we have not risked anything. He himself said it is those who won't risk anything for him who are the ones who will lose it all. As Christians, our future is secure. The scroll has been opened. God's master plan is in progress. We are safe. We are secure for all eternity. Nothing can ultimately hurt us. So therefore, we are free, free to make God's agenda our agenda, to get on with the task of making Jesus known, not looking in ourselves anymore, but looking out in a world in which there are people who God is calling to himself, some from every tribe, language, people and nation who are today waiting, waiting for someone to share the good news with them that they might hear and believe. So shall we pray then, shall we pray that God would use us to achieve this? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus and his great salvation. Please open our hearts and minds more and more to realize the wonderful work Jesus has done for us and direct our lives so that we are more aligned with your plans for this world. Father, please use us to call those Jesus has purchased for you from every tribe, language, people and nation here in Hove, Brighton, in this nation and around the world. And especially we ask that amongst us here today, you would raise up some to be the next generation of mission workers 
who will not cling to their lives, but who will gladly give up careers and comfort for the sake of the billions who are lost, who are waiting to hear the good news. And alongside them, Lord, we ask that you would raise up many others today who will commit to funding this work and to praying for it. In Jesus' great and glorious name, we ask these things. Amen.